This is Resurrection Day. Um, this is always my favorite Sunday of the entire year. My heart always looks forward to Resurrection Day, but it's always a challenge to preach. You know, it's really hard for pastors to preach Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Palm Sunday. You know, these, these Sundays where you got to preach kind of the same message <laughs> and you got to figure out a different way to preach it every, every single year. Yeah. And as I'm preparing for these Sundays, and especially this year as I was preparing for, for this message today, it dawned on me that there's an inexhaustibility to the riches of God's Word. Wow. That every time you look at it, there's something new, something different that God has to say to you that you didn't notice before, that you didn't see before, but it's all up in your face. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading in the New King James Version, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. And this is what it says. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Verse 8. And they remembered his words. Then they returned to the tomb, they returned from the tomb, and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles, verse 11, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Wow. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would speak so clearly to our hearts that these words that you speak to us today would not sound to us like idle tales, but like truth and life. We give you glory today in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the, the greatest hindrances to understanding the Word of God is escaping the fact that we are historical outsiders. We talked about this on Friday. And one of the most powerful ways to gain a fresh understanding of the words of Scripture is to put yourself in the situation of those who lived it out. Let me try to describe for you what it was like for those ladies to visit the tomb that morning. First, the day before yesterday, the day that we as historical outsiders call Good Friday, and the day before yesterday we had our Good Friday service and we made it clear that it was not Good Friday to those who lived through it. Yeah. The day before yesterday was the day that the worst thing that they possibly could have ever imagined happened, yeah. and God did nothing to stop it. Wow. This, is, this is what they experienced. If you could think of your worst nightmare, the worst thing that could possibly ever happen, happening, and God does nothing to stop it, that's how they experienced Good Friday. To them, it was more like failed Friday. Yeah. 
the day God failed to intervene, the day the worst happened and God did nothing. Failed Friday. And failed Friday was followed by silent Saturday. And silent Saturday is the day in which God provides no explanations, no comfort in the aftermath, no reasons, no peace to your heart. He fails to cut through the confusion of you asking, what in the world is going on in my life? It's the day when God answers no questions. Wow. Silent Saturday. Yeah. But if I were God, and I were about to raise my son Jesus from the dead, I would have done it a bit differently. I would have called a press conference right at the moment I was going to perform the resurrection. I would have had angels come down at that press conference, yeah. live coverage, yeah. with the entire world watching, yeah. roll that stone away in front of all of them, and cause Jesus to come out of that tomb on national TV. <laughs> I would have made sure every press outlet was there, yeah. and then I would have had him float into the temple in Jerusalem and start preaching to all of the scribes and Pharisees who crucified him. I probably would have done worse. It, it, you know, the Django Unchained, it would have been more like the Jesus Unchained because I would have went after everybody who persecuted me, all the folks who betrayed me. I would have went around killing folks. <laughs> Chief priests, scribes, Pontius Pilate, you think you washed your hands of it? I'm about to wash my hands of you. It would have been in your face. But God does precisely the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Because Silent Saturday is followed by Secret Sunday. Oh, wow. Because when God performed the resurrection and raised Jesus from the dead, yeah. nobody was there to see it. Wow. Yeah. Not even his own disciples. Yeah. Not even the ones who believed in him. Not even the ones who loved him. He what did? I mean, John at least was there at the cross. But he wasn't there at the resurrection. Nobody saw it. There were human beings present, but the angels put them to sleep. The greatest reversal in history, God does it secretly. So that only he sees it. Only God know. Only God knew what had happened. The resurrection transpired and not a soul on earth knew it except God himself. God is okay reversing the curse in secret. So nobody sees it. Nobody knows it. Nobody perceives it. He did not send a memo. He did not post it on social media. He didn't Snapchat it, TikTok it, IG it, Facebook it instant messenger it. He did not communicate it to anybody. Wow. And when the women show up at the tomb that morning, they show up to the aftermath of the resurrection yeah. without knowing about the resurrection itself. Yeah. They get there and they simply see the stone is rolled away. What in the world is going on? Yeah. And then they walk inside the tomb and the body of the Lord is not there. Yeah. What in the world is going on? Mm. They're trying to piece together. Mm. 
This is how God works. The miraculous intervention of God is often perplexing. You have to kind of piece it together. You have to put two and two together. You walk right into the aftermath of it, but you have no understanding of what it is that happened. And while they're standing there, the scripture says, greatly perplexed. Two men in shining garments, these are angelic beings, they stand in their presence, and they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now we're getting parables. Riddles. Here's a riddle for you. You're looking for a living person, but you're looking in a dead place. The angels are actually preaching the first sermon, the first resurrection sermon. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Don't you realize that you're seeking life, but you're looking for it in dead places? This is the story of our lives, isn't it? This is the story of human life in general. We are constantly looking for life in dead places, doing what you're doing because you think it gives you life, but instead it actually gives you death. That's why the scripture says the wages of sin are death. You've got to work for it. And at the end of it, God says, here's your paycheck. You've earned this death. Paid in full. Why are you looking for life in dead places? He's not here. He's risen just as he said. Do you hear what the angels say? Didn't he tell you? Didn't he tell you? Why why did God do it secretly? To give you an opportunity to believe what he already told you before the resurrection. See, he did not keep them in the dark. Actually, he told them they didn't believe what he told them. And so they were perplexed when it happened. Here's the, the, the reasoning. This is what I see. Had God called all of the disciples together, all of the apostles together, all of his believers together, the 120 who ended up in the upper room, let's say God sent them all a prophetic memo and said, meet me at the tomb at 3.29 a.m. The soldiers will be standing there. Don't worry, just social distance from the soldiers. They ask you, what are you doing here? We're just watching. (laughs) We're not trying to do nothing. We're just watching. We're just here to watch. And precisely at 3.30 a.m., just just get out your camera phones. (laughs) Don't post this to Facebook, but take pictures. You're going to love this. And then the angels descend. The soldiers go to sleep. The stone is rolled away. And Jesus comes out. Resurrected glory. You know the problem with that scenario is? Faith in the resurrection would have been a generational cul-de-sac. Because the one thing that the first witnesses would not have needed was faith. Because you don't need faith for what you see. He gave them an opportunity to believe it without seeing it. Which is the same thing we have to do. That is, God set it up from the very beginning that the first generation of believers would have the same burden of faith that we have to believe without seeing. But it goes even deeper than that. Because had God publicly, even in front of the believers, brought about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, a couple of significant reversals would have been completely impossible. Let me explain to you why. Go back to the Garden of Eden. What happened there? Who was deceived first? It was in a garden that sin entered the world. And sin entered into the world as the woman was deceived in the garden. The woman was the first to be deceived. Second thing that happens, where is Jesus risen from the dead? 
Look at me, guys. Don't worry about that. Just look at me. There's a phone or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> now I'm distracted. <laughs> Sin enters the world in a garden. Jesus is buried where? In a garden. The tomb is also in a garden. The woman was the first to be deceived, and the woman was the first to believe. So allowing women to show up on the scene and see the evidence of the resurrection without seeing the, without seeing the resurrection themselves gave them the opportunity to reverse the deception of the garden with a faith in the garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, this is what the resurrection is all about. The resurrection is about reversing the unreversible. Amen. The resurrection reverses failed Friday, but failed Friday was a catastrophe that was unreversible. The sin of the garden was unreversible, but the resurrection reverses it. And so he invites them to the garden. But here's, here's the difference between the garden tomb and the garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, Satan enticed the woman. She eats of the fruit. She takes it to the man. And what does he do? He receives it. Oh, okay, we're eating this. Okay. Oh. But these women in the garden tomb, they receive the news of the resurrection, and they go to tell the men, and they don't believe them. Men, we tend to receive the wrong thing, don't we? Somewhat. Some woman can bring you forbidden fruit and you'll eat it, won't you? But if a woman starts telling you about the resurrection power of Jesus, you'll not only eat the forbidden fruit, you'll blame her for it. But then you won't believe. The faith of the garden reversed the sin of the garden. This was a reversal that needed to happen. But if we go over to John 21, there's another reversal that happens, a second reversal that happens, an irreversible reversal that happens through the resurrection of Jesus. You see, there was this guy, Peter, Simon, Simon Peter, that we talked about on Friday night, who denied Jesus. And he, Jesus told him, the rooster will not crow before you deny three times that you know me. And sure enough, he denies Jesus three times. But then you get to John 21, verse 15 and following. Jesus, in his resurrected glory, goes to Peter, who, by the way, here in Luke 24, runs to the tomb. He hears the testimony of the women. He doesn't believe them, but he runs to the tomb anyway. He's despondent. He falls on his face in the tomb. But because he doesn't see anything, he goes fishing. And in the morning, Jesus visits him on the shore. And he asks him this question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my, la my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Why does Jesus ask him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He was reversing his, his three-time denial. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And now Jesus reverses it with, I love him. I love him. I love him. 
even his denial that Peter thought was completely unreversible. Jesus comes to him in his resurrection glory and reverses it. It's simply a sign of the fact that everything that you and I did, every failure, every sin, every catastrophe that happened to you, every ill that has befallen you, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has reversed it. You see, the resurrection was not just about God's reversal of the death of Jesus. He wasn't simply reversing Good Friday. He was reversing your failed Friday. He was reversing your silent Saturday. His secret Sunday reversed your failed Friday and your silent Saturday. The stuff that happened to you and the stuff that you did. The stuff that you were responsible for and the stuff that you weren't responsible for. The thing, the secret sin and the public sin. Whatever it is, Jesus reversed it in his resurrection from the dead. And the question that people ask a lot is, what's this got to do with me? See, this whole drama of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we reenact every year, we commemorate every year, even to a lot of believers, feels pretty irrelevant. It's really hard for me to grieve with Jesus because what's this got to do with me? What's the death of Jesus got to do with me? What, is, what does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with me? But in actuality, that question that we all tend to ask at some point in our life, what does this have to do with me, is precisely the wrong question. The real question is, what's it got to do with him? Suffering and death, what's that got to do with an eternal God? What does an eternal God have to do with sin, suffering, and death? What does an eternal God have to do with human beings anyway? The psalmist asked the question, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you, that you, uh, you what's that word? The son of man that you care for him. You've made man a little lower than the angels. I don't know why I can't think of the word. <laughs> My, well, no. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you something for him? Anyway, it's there. So, the psalmist is like, why do you care about us? Why is it any of your business? What's it got to do with you? That's the question the psalmist asks. But now, in our place in history, we ask the opposite question. What's it got to do with me? Did you see that horrible attack that happened in New York City five or six days ago? 65-year-old yeah. Filipino woman, yeah. minding her business, walking to church, on her way to church. Yeah. And this humongous man, African-American man, walks up to her completely unprovoked, kicks her in the stomach. When she falls to the ground, he yells at her, you don't belong here and then kicks her in the face, and then proceeds to con continue to scream obscenities at her and stomp her in the head. And as horrifying and atrocious as that scene is, what's even more horrifying is the two security guards inside the store that you see on the surveillance video who turn around and look and see what's going on, and one of them closes the door. Yeah. What's the message he sends in closing the door? What's that got to do with me? Yeah. What's that got to do with us? My mama taught me a long time ago to mind my own business. That ain't got nothing to do with me. 
I did not perpetuate any, any violence against anyone. I am simply an innocent bystander. I've got nothing to do with this. And that, it burns us up on the inside, doesn't it? If you're like me, that burns me up on the inside. Burns me up. I want those two security guards to be prosecuted the same way the man who attacked the woman. Because you're part of the problem if you watch it go down. The thing that we don't often remember is that the crucifixion of Jesus was not about him. We tend to see Jesus as the, 69, the 65-year-old Filipino woman getting stomped, and we just simply go, what's that got to do with me? Wow. It was actually you and I wow. who were getting stomped. Jesus was the security guard, but he did not stand idle. You know what he did? He, le he comes out of the store, the safety of the heavens, where he was seated at the right hand of the Father, and he becomes the 65-year-old Filipino woman. And he stands in between her and the man who is assailing her, and he gets stomped out on her behalf. The question is, what's that got to do with him? Not what's it got to do with me. It was my death that he died. It was my sacrifice. This is what the prophet Isaiah said when he said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But we esteemed him smitten by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. All we saw was him getting beat up. We didn't realize that he bore our griefs and carried our... Listen, you don't understand the cross of Jesus until you look to the cross and see yourself hanging there. Wow. Seeing that he took your form and took your sin and took your griefs and took your cares and took your sorrows. As long as you think it's his cross... You've completely misunderstood it. You don't begin to understand it until you begin to see that it was your cross. But this is the crazy thing. If the cross was not his cross, then the resurrection also was not his resurrection. The cross was not about him. And the resurrection was not about him. It was your resurrection. It was my resurrection. He died the death that I should have died, and he was raised from the, day, the grave on my behalf. He suffered for me, but he was also raised for me. You see, we talk about believing in the sacrifice of Jesus. He died for you. He died for you. We don't talk about enough about believing in the resurrection of Jesus. He was raised for you. He was raised for you. We talk about he took my sin and he died for me, and that's awesome. That's true. But he also was raised to life on your behalf. And when he was raised from the dead, it represented the reversal of the unreversible in your life. What's it got to do with him? He, he had every right to close the door. Because it's actually a little different from us because this 65-year-old woman actually didn't provoke that big man at all. But we're getting stomped out by death and sin and hell and the grave and the devil, and it is mostly self-inflicted, isn't it? We provoked the big man. We made fun of the big man. 
We thought we could handle them. And actually, we should have been in the store with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We left the store of our own accord. We made the decision to leave the safety of that place of fellowship with God to go off on our own. And in our flesh, in our sin, we decided, I can handle it myself. We went and picked the fight with the big man. And now, for generations, we're being stomped out by death, hell, and the grave. And Jesus still took our form and took our place. But there's still one more point of separation. Because if he died for me, if he took my my death, my punishment, and my shame, why am I still getting punished? Why am I still dying? If he took it for me, why is it still happening to me? This morning I saw on Facebook, one of the first couples that I ever married had to be 2004, 2005, led them both to Christ. The husband was stationed here in Alameda in the National Guard, put them through premarital counseling, did their wedding, and then they moved away. I've watched them ever since on Facebook because I stalk like that. I don't say much, but I'm watching you. But this morning, her husband passed away last night. I just found out just before standing up here to preach. And it hit me in the stomach so hard. The question is, why do tragedies still happen to us? If he stood in the way, why do 65-year-old Filipino women still get beat down in the street? What we don't realize is that there's really two different sides to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The one side is called substitution. He died in our place. But the second side is called participation. He died with us. You remember, he was crucified between two thieves. The thieves still had to be crucified, but he died with them. You see, the substitutionary component is ultimate. At the end of our life, when we stand before God, we'll realize that he took our place in terms of the wrath of God. so that we didn't have to actually suffer the wrath of God. That's that's the substitutionary part. He bore the wrath of God on our behalf. But when it comes to the components of our mortality, when it comes to the tragic breakdown of relationships, when it comes to the systematic breaking down of our bodies and all of the hosts of ills, that we must bear here in this earthly life for a season. He died with us. It was his way of saying, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to fear no evil because you'll know I am with you. 
and that at every place in your life where you're marked by suffering, you'll be able to look to the nail prints in my hands and see that the marks on me are identical to the marks on you. He was the presence of God with us in our shame, with us in our pain, with us in our suffering. What he actually did was he became a second 65-year-old Filipino woman. And he stood next to that woman and said, beat me too. Why does God do that? Why not stop the man? Instead, God says, no, I'm going to absorb the evil. I'm going to absorb it and put it to death on the cross. I'm going to take all of it upon myself and put it to death on the cross. He's not trying to stop one attack. He's trying to defeat death and bring light and immortality to life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants you to know that whatever has transpired in your life, he has absorbed it through the cross. He has taken it upon himself. He has borne it in his, in his body on the cross. The scripture says that the last enemy to be defeated is death. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ meant that death's days were numbered in the earth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the ultimate point of reversal. Now, in technical analysis, and some of you know that I do technical analysis, if you look at a chart, and at any type of asset, a stock or anything, and you look at a pattern where the price is dropping sharply downward, downward. It just keeps moving. And especially if it's moving into a downward wedge where it just is narrowing and narrowing and narrowing. It looks like that asset is dying. It looks like that asset is coming to nothing. It, and that's where people start selling off, selling off, selling off, selling off because the value is depleting. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was that downward wedge where it looked like it was over for everybody. But in actuality, the, the investor knows that that is called a reversal pattern. That the sharper it goes down, the sharper it's going to come up. You see, the resurrection of Jesus was the aftermath of the ultimate reversal pattern. And it was a reversal pattern in which he had to go not only into the grave, but all the way to hell where he took the keys of death out of the hands of the devil. He defeated death. Literally, he had to die in order to absorb the power of death and put death to death. The day he died, death died. The day he died, he defeated death. The day he died, he marked the days in which we'll even have to deal with death. He brought about an ultimate reversal. But all of us are like the women who came and discovered the tomb that morning. It's happened, but it's a secret. The fact of the matter is, you don't even know what God has already done on your behalf. Because God does it in secret. You can wake up in the morning, God changed everything in the middle of the night, and you don't even know it yet. The women woke up in the morning and were pre preparing spices to put on the dead body of Jesus, not realizing that you're not going to need those spices. Some of you are preparing spices to anoint your dead things, not realizing that you're not going to need those spices because God has already worked in the middle of the night. We used to sing late in the midnight hour. God's going to turn it around. He's going to work in your favor. The only difference is he's not going to do it when you're looking. He does it when you're asleep. Because if you were awake, you'd mess with it. And you'd mess it up. You have no idea what God is doing under the cloak of silence. 
those three days, God seemed to be the most inactive that he had ever been. But it was actually in those three days that he was the most active that he had ever been. It seemed like that he did not intervene, not realizing that in those very events, he was intervening to a greater degree than you could ever imagine, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against us, against him. His resurrection, yeah. it was a reversal. Yeah. And everything that the enemy has done to destroy your life, yeah. Jesus has reversed Amen. by the power of his resurrection. Yeah. So I call us to faith this morning, not just in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but faith in the resurrection. Yeah. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We always talk about believing that he died for your sins, but no, Paul says you got to believe that God raised him from the dead. And many of you are in a place of doubt and frustration and, and unbelief, and it's simply because you don't believe enough in the resurrection. You haven't reflected enough upon the resurrection. You believe in his death, but not in his resurrection. And today I'm calling you to faith. In the resurrection of Jesus, he didn't just die for you. He was raised for you. Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would release faith in every heart. Faith in the power of your resurrection. Lord, some of us are in that place where we're perplexed. Perplexed in our hearts. Perplexed in our minds. We don't understand what's happening. Just like the women. God, I know you're moving, but I can't see it. I believe you're working, but I can't see it. Father, I pray that you would give us faith in the God that we can't see and the works that we can't see and the miracles that seem to transcend our understanding that go beyond our awareness. Faith in the fact that you're moving in our secret Saturday. That our silent Saturday, where you seem to be completely non-responsive, you were dealing with hell. (laughs) Dealing decisively with it. And in our secret Sunday, where you're working a work that no one can see, that we wouldn't even believe. You're bringing about a reversal. It was in the garden that we failed, but you bring us back to the garden that we might believe. Holy Spirit, I pray, move upon every heart and every soul and every life and bring about a reversal that the faith of the resurrection would release within us an anticipation of a reversal, a dramatic reversal in which you're going to turn it around. You're going to turn it around. I'm just going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me if your heart compels you to do so. It's simply a declaration of faith. Father, Just say it out loud if you would. Father, 
I believe that your son Jesus died for me to take the punishment for my sin. But I also believe that he was raised for me to bring about the reversal of all that has befallen me. All that I have done, all that has been done to me, he reversed it by his resurrection. Increase my faith in his resurrection and in his glory. And open my eyes to see in his resurrection my resurrection. Jesus' name. Worship team's going to lead us in a song. Just take a moment with Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yeah. Caught up in your presence I just want to sit at your feet Caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave Yeah here for blessing Jesus Jesus you don't know me anything more than anything that you can do I just want I just want you. I'm sorry I'm sorry I've just gone through the motions I'm sorry When I sang another song Take me back to where we started I owe to you Come on, sing that again, I'm sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry just gone through the motions. I'm sorry. I sang, I sang. So take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. Say I'm sorry when I come with my agenda. And I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. just join me in prayer. Let's ask God for that special gift 
of faith this morning. Let us pray. Father, grant us, give us gift of faith to actually believe. God, when the woman ran to the disciples and testified that Jesus has risen, they did not believe them. But this morning, God, we heard your word preached to us that the resurrection was for us. It was about us that you are reversing everything that the enemy has done yes. to destroy our lives God every time the enemy tried to mark us with his darkness Jesus your resurrection was about reversing we heard your word preached let us not be like the disciples in the past and did not believe the word that was preached but Lord today give us that gift of faith to believe we want to believe God we don't want to struggle with doubt and unbelief anymore God you died and you, res you resurrected on our behalf God we want to believe not only for your death but for your resurrection and it has everything to do with my life father as we look around our country and see the darkness as we look within ourselves and see the darkness today we arise we arise and we say we believe we want to believe right now God to everyone listening to this prayer <laughs> grant us faith grant us faith Increase our faith. Give us faith to believe for that resurrection power to reverse our Fridays and Saturdays, God. And in the days to come, help us to resurrect out of unbelief and walk in faith. Help us, empower us, God, this week to walk in faith anytime God we want to lay down in unbelief Spirit of God Spirit of God Spirit of God activate us so that we would arise from the bed of unbelief and doubt Father we will walk in faith in Jesus name in Jesus name we pray Amen Amen Amen, Amen. Amen.